In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear brother, dear sister, dear faithful. In 1975, Archbishop Lefebvre was asked to close down his seminary at Icon and to disband the Society of St. Pius X. The previous November, he had issued a declaration basically affirming uh, his fidelity to the eternal truths of the faith and his refusal and unequivocal rejection of the novel in, uh, doctrines introduced by the Second Vatican Council and also, of course, of the new Mass. The last thing that, that Rome wanted was a movement within the Church that set itself up in opposition to what was being called reforms of the Church, but in fact were only things that uh, were destroying the very life of the Church. So as a result, because they didn't want this traditionalist movement that set itself up in opposition to uh, the Second Vatican Council, they gave an ultimatum to the Archbishop. You have to cease your activities or we are going to suspend you. And a suspension is very serious for a priest. It's basically your uh, religious authorities telling a priest that you have um, no right anymore to exercise the sacraments in a public fashion. So when it was clear that the, the archbishop was, was intent on continuing his work, that, that he was going to persist, in um, running the, the Society of St. Pius X and forming priests, um, they told him to be sure not to go through with the ordinations in 1975. So his declaration was in November 1974. Um, and as he was coming up for the ordinations at the end of June 1975, they said, you are not permitted to do these ordinations. If you go through uh, with these ordinations, uh, we will suspend you. So... The Archbishop manifested his will to continue, and the day of ordinations approached. And Rome sent a, a representative to Icon, and this representative came. I, I uh, don't remember if who exactly it was. It might have been Cardinal Tiendum, um, one of the former seminarians of the Archbishop when he was in Africa as a rector of a seminary. One of one of the priests that he had formed ended up becoming a cardinal. But this representative came and had in his hands a missile, the, the new missile from 1969, and presented that missile to the archbishop. And he said to the archbishop, all you have to do is say this mass. Just say this mass publicly one time, and everything will be fine with Rome. Of course, even un under this immense pressure from Rome, the archbishop refused and went ahead with the ordinations, understanding the gravity of, of his actions in, in his sermon on that day, he explained his reasoning clearly. He, he said that he reflected, he prayed, he, he sought consultation from others as to what was the proper course of action, lest he be deceived. But in the end, he determined that, that God wanted him to follow through. Um, he knew that it was his duty to obey the Pope and his religious superiors in Rome. Um, but at the same time, he understood that they do not have an unlimited power, that their power, too, is subject to a higher power, namely the power of God, and that if they issued commands that would cause him to betray Christ, that it was more important for him to obey Christ than the vicar of Christ. If you're in this terrible situation where the vicar of Christ 
is commanding you to do something against Christ himself, then it's necessary for you to obey Christ more than the vicar of Christ. So he could not, in the end, obey the command to celebrate what he called a bastard mass, a Protestantized liturgy, because that mass is a betrayal of God and of our Catholic heritage. We know now, um, 46 years later, that if the archbishop had not taken this stand, if he had not continued with the ordinations, if he had obeyed and shut down the society, had stopped forming the priests, had sent everybody home, and also if he had not gone ahead with the consecration of the bishops in 1988, what we know today as the traditional movement in the Catholic Church, we can say with great confidence, um, would not exist. There would be little to nothing of the traditional movement that exists today. We know that the conciliar church has never wanted there to be a traditional movement within the church because, as I say, that movement uh, represents a rejection of the council. And that's why the full rights of citizenship have never been given to traditional Catholics or to tradition uh, to this day. The only exception was during that pontificate of Pope Benedict XVI when steps were being made to legitimize tradition in the eyes of the Catholic world um, when he gave that universal permission to celebrate the traditional mass without even needing the permission of the local bishop. So any priest, any, especially any parish priest, if he had a certain number of faithful who were interested in the traditional mass, or if he just wanted to say the traditional mass privately, um, he was given blanket permission, all the priests were given blanket permission to do this under Sumorum Pontificum. And so this, this permission, uh, which was requested by the Society of St. Pius X and was granted as a certain concession to us, was a step in the direction of what we hope will happen one day, namely that the full rights of tradition uh, be acknowledged finally in the church and ultimately that the new mass and all the false teachings of Vatican II be done away with, that they just go away and finally um, our true Catholic identity become once more the mainstream in our beloved Catholic Church. As I'm sure you know, two days ago, a major step um, backwards was taken in regards to this restoration of tradition by the issuance of a motu proprio by Pope Francis that was called Traditionis Custodes. And I think the main thing that's clear from this motu proprio of Pope Francis is that he definitely does not want there to be um, a traditional Catholic movement within the church. He, he definitely um, wants that traditional movement to disappear. That's the only thing, I mean, that, that's, that's just, uh, the, 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 the motu proprio is, is, is not hiding any cards. All the cards are, are turned over on the table um, and it's uh, an effort, it's obviously an effort to end the traditional Catholic movement. Here's some things that this motu proprio uh, says and commands. The first paragraph begins by affirming that the Novus Ordo Mass is the only proper expression of the law of prayer in the church. Um, so Pope Benedict made this distinction between the ordinary form of, of the Mass in the Roman Rite, uh, the new Mass, and the extraordinary form of the traditional Mass. Pope Francis is saying, we don't have that distinction anymore. Um, 
It's just the new mass. The new mass is the only proper expression of the liturgy uh, as we know it. So, in other words, the traditional mass no longer has any legitimate standing um, in his eyes in the church. Pope Francis makes many commands in this motu proprio. He uh, very strikingly and amazingly commands uh, something that's, that's like the opposite of the anti-modernist oath of, of St. Pius X. He, he commands that all of those who are assisting at the traditional mass affirm that the new mass is both valid and legitimate. Uh, now, it's the position of the Society of St. Pius X that the new mass is valid when it's said properly, but it's not a position that the new mass is legitimate. In other words, the new mass is a, is a worship that is acceptable to God, um, that the new mass is good. But Pope Francis is saying that, that if there are people out there going to the traditional mass, uh, they must be willing to say that the new mass is a good thing. He commands as well that traditional groups that currently exist in dioceses not be allowed to have masses in parish churches. So if there's a parochial church, um, that the traditional mass not be celebrated there. Um, and also that there not be sort of churches that are solely dedicated to the traditional mass. Now this is a, a huge blow for organizations like the Fraternity of St. Peter and the Institute of Christ the King, um, which often have their own churches. They, they have their, their own parishes, uh, which they celebrate exclusively the traditional mass. I myself don't know how this motu proprio will be implemented. I think it will depend to a large degree on the bishops. Um, but such as it stands, the command of the motu proprio is that there be no parishes dedicated exclusively to traditional mass um, and also that the, the traditional mass not be celebrated in the parish church itself. Moreover, um, he commands that in the future there be no new personal parishes dedicated to traditional mass. They're not to be, uh, the, the current parishes that exist for the traditional mass are to be done away with, and in the future, no new ones. So, um, as I say, I don't, I don't know how this motu proprio will be implemented, but um, on the, the letter of this law um, means that there are, is to be no new growth for the fraternity of St. Peter or the Institute of Christ the King, that, that bishops are not to give any uh, permissions for, for them to come into the diocese and establish a new parish for the traditional mass. Finally, Pope Francis commands that that any newly ordained priests, any priests that, that are ordained in the future, if they want to celebrate the traditional mass, and there's, there's lots and lots of these priests out there right today, many seminarians being formed, even in Novus Ordo seminaries, um, have a desire to, to say the traditional mass. But he's saying that if they have this desire, they must make a request of their bishop for permission and if the bishop wants to give them permission, he has to ask permission from Rome. And it's only Rome that will be able to give this permission for the celebration of the traditional mass. Um, we can anticipate that this permission will not be given easily. So the, these are, are very strong and um, draconian measures that are being taken 
against the traditional masses. It's a very much a reversal of Sumorum Pontificum and a return to a status um, that's, that's like the, the time right after the promulgation of the new mass. Pope Francis accompanied this motu proprio with a letter to the bishops in which he explains his purpose for these measures and the purpose that they should have in implementing. He's like, why do I want you to do these things in your diocese? What should you seek to achieve by implementing this motu proprio in your dioceses? Here's what he says. Indications about how to proceed in your dioceses are chiefly dictated by two principles. On the one hand, to provide for the good of those who are rooted in the previous form of celebration and need to return in due time to the Roman rite promulgated by Saints Paul VI and John Paul II. And, on the other hand, to discontinue the erection of new personal parishes tied more to the desire and wishes of individual priests than to the real need of the holy people of God. In other words, he's saying to the bishops, what we are seeking to achieve through this motu proprio is that all traditional Catholics go to the new mass. That this it would be a way to ease them in to the attendance at the new mass. And he calls that the good of those who are rooted in the previous form of celebration. So those who are rooted in the traditional mass are lacking a good, and that good is their assistance at the new mass. Because if they do not assist the new mass, they are not in a proper unity to the church, he says. Yeah, they are, present a, a means for division in the church. Um, they are something like a parallel church, and so in order to achieve their good, which is their union with the church, we need to get them to start attending the new mass. And this motu proprio is going to be the means, he thinks, to accomplish this. In short, the motu proprio acts like a mandated vaccine that is meant to genetically modify the faith of traditionalists. But somehow, the Pope is hoping to change our faith that we are going to be, um, through these measures, led to embrace the Second Vatican Council in its totality, that we are going to embrace the idea, for instance, that non-Catholic religions lead to salvation, the idea of ecumenism, that we are to embrace the idea that every human being has a natural right to worship God in the way that he pleases, the idea of religious liberty, we are to embrace the idea that the Catholic Church is a dem democracy and not a monarchy. That somehow the power structure in the church is a bottom-up structure, not a top-down structure. The idea of collegiality. And above all, that we will be led to embrace the embodiment of these new and false teachings, which is the liturgy that came forth from the Second Vatican Council, the new Mass. That Mass that places the people on the level of God that mass that desacralizes worship in order to somehow sacralize man, that mass that handles the Blessed Sacrament as some sort of common food, that mass that turns what is supposed to be a sacrifice into a communal meal, 
the Mass that finally turns the priesthood from a sacred work of mediating between God and man into a work of merely calling faith meetings and assisting people, presiding over people eating that communal meal. So in the mind of Pope Francis, only when we embrace all of these things will we traditionalists be considered to be in unity with the church. We have to reach a point where we will be willing to say that the, the Second Vatican Council somehow um, conforms to the constant teaching of the church, even though it seems so obvious to us that it's in contradiction in certain respects to the teaching of, uh, of the church, that, that we will be able to swallow this contradiction. You know, recall for, that, that for Pope Francis, for instance, um, saying that the death penalty today is wrong, and, and changing the catechism to say that, is, is perfectly in conformity with the constant tradition of the church saying that the death penalty is in fact acceptable in some cases. We must also um, reach a point where we can say that the new mass is a Catholic worship acceptable to God, when in fact it's so obvious to us that it strips away the proper respect we owe to God and hides the essential teachings of our faith. So in short, we are expected to drink this complete draft of Vatican II Kool-Aid so that we will completely um, accept the, the measures of the conciliar church and the whole conciliar spirit. Otherwise, uh, we will be considered rigid and divisive obstacles to church unity. Well, I think, my dear faithful, that I, I hardly need to mention that um, this motu proprio uh, changes nothing for us in the Society of St. Pius X um, because of our history, because of uh, the direction that has been set for us by our founder, Archbishop Lefebvre. I mean, we've been on the same path since 1975 when, when he took that, that strong stand, and, and it's, it's very simple for us to continue on that path. Um, but as for the other traditionalist groups, I, I can only wish them the best. Heaven help them in this situation. I hope for their sake and for the good of the church that these um, insane measures, uh, I can even call them insane measures against tradition will be lifted soon. But, you know, those same sort of measures were in place for a very long time in the past. We can say that they were in place between 1970 and, and 1988. Um, and and very, it didn't get much better after 1988. Very similar measures were in present uh, from 1988 to 2007. So, I mean, that's, that's a period of, of 37 years. It's a, it's a long time. Um, and it, it looks as if we're entering into another winter for tradition, and I pray that it's not going to be a long winter, um, but I fear for these other traditionalist groups because the consequences for them are, are very dire uh, under this situation. But for, for us here, um, as uh, parishioners of, of Society St. Pius X Chapel, uh, there are two things that I would especially like to point out. And the first is, is how this, this situation proves uh, once more the rightness of the stand taken by Archbishop Lefebvre. It's absolutely necessary 
in this conciliar world that the traditional Catholic faith be maintained with all of its rights because it alone is authentic Catholicism. There has to be somebody out there in the church for the church to survive who is willing to stand up to the rights, for the rights of tradition, in spite of whatever measures might be leveled against it by the authorities in the church. There is no power on earth that has the authority to take away from you your traditional Catholic identity, your traditional Catholic faith. If anyone tries to command you to accept the teachings of religious liberty or of communion, uh, ecumenism, if anyone tries to command you to accept the legitimacy of a Protestantized liturgy, then you have every right to refuse because your traditional Catholic faith comes from God and there is no authority higher from God. You have the right to serve God and no human power can take that right away from you. So as I say, the situation shows that there has to be a traditionalist group that exists which is willing to stand up to abuses of power on the part of the church hierarchy. And that group is the Society of St. Pius X. That's what we've been doing for, for the past 50 years. The second thing I want to point out is that all that we are asking for is, uh, for as traditional Catholics, is God. All that we want is God. We, we just we desire union with God through the authentic Catholic faith. We are not desiring to be rebellious. We are not desiring to toot our own horn or, or, or whatever. We, we just want the freedom to live as authentic Catholics. Um, so the division that, that Pope Francis complains about really does not come from us. It comes from the will of the conciliar church to break with Catholic tradition, with, to break from the Catholic identity that is so clear throughout our entire history. We just want to practice the faith of our fathers. And we have the right, if, if someone tries to take that away from us, to, to refuse. That's all that we're doing. If they just give us that, that freedom, we, we will behave ourselves. That's, that's the, the, the essence of what is going on here. We must not have a spirit of re rebellion. It's never pleasant to, to be in a situation where you have to say no to those who are invested with authority. And we are happy to obey if we simply are allowed to have our God and our faith. So my dear faithful, I just want to leave you with those words, some of the words of Archbishop Lefebvre that are expressed in that declaration of 1974 that I mentioned uh, at the beginning of this sermon. They're really a declaration of fidelity to God and his church in the face of a modernist hierarchy. But I think they're also a guide for us today, 70, uh, 47 years later, on the firmness, firmness that we have to have in holding on to the Catholic faith and also resisting anything that will undermine and destroy it. Here's part of what the Archbishop said. No authority, not even the highest in the hierarchy, can force us to abandon or diminish our Catholic faith, so clearly expressed and professed by the Church's magisterium for 19 centuries. This reformation 
born of liberalism and modernism, is poisoned through and through. It derives from heresy and ends in heresy even if all its acts are not formally heretical. It is therefore impossible for any conscientious and faithful Catholic to espouse this reformation or to submit to it in any way whatsoever. The only attitude of faithfulness to the Church and Catholic doctrine in view of our salvation is a categorical refusal to accept this reformation. That is why, without any spirit of rebellion, bitterness, or resentment, we pursue our work of forming priests with the timeless magisterium as our guide. We are persuaded that we can render no greater service to the Holy Catholic Church, to the Sovereign Pontiff, and to posterity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.